If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act... That sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Egypt is filled with fascination and intrigue. And whenever we have a guest on the program who is discussing Egypt, I uh, really listen carefully, especially if they're talking about early prehistory. Today, my returning guest is Mohammed Imbriam, who has written a new book called Egypt Before Written History. And this is his look at the ancient pre-dynastic people, these very sophisticated craftsmen, engineers, scientists, who actually appear to have shaped and left their impression on the dynastic Egyptians, which are the pharaohs. This week, we visit Egypt and learn more about the ancient past of the Egyptian pre-dynastic people. All this and more today on Earth Ancients. For Saturday, February 11th, 2023, this is Earth Ancients. I'm your host, Cliff Dunning. This is what you might consider an all-inclusive Egypt program. We're going to be speaking shortly with Jen Deo, our staff archaeologist, who has made some interesting discoveries on her own, and is going to talk a little bit about some of these um, new excavations at Saqqara. And this is a new area that is uh, goes way, way back to the Old Kingdom, which is 5,000 plus years. And they're finding a number of tombs, crypts, and passageways that not only sneak and travel underneath the uh, Acropolis, which is the Dozier Pyramid and this um, this underground series of, uh, I guess you could call them complexes that are un- being uncovered on a regular basis. It seems like every single month they're finding a new passageway. And there's a lot of questions about Saqqara, the great age that it could be, even though the pyramid itself is very, very rudimentary. There's a there's a, uh, a solid rock uh, base that may have been the original uh, foundations for a building, for a temple. When we were there last year, 
there was a uh, a new crypt that had been found with the remains of a governor, and the interior of this crypt was very, very ornate. It was cut out of solid bedrock. There were figures of, of this governor's family and, and key uh, individuals, as well as some gods. And so these discoveries are fabulous in that this older kingdom is uh, is much has a different kind of a personality than the new kingdom and, and any of the uh, dynastics following those periods of time. So uh, we're going to hear from Jen real briefly, and then we'll jump right into Muhammad Imbriam and talk a little bit about. Uh, this new book called Egypt Before Written History. And I got to tell you, when we go on tour with him, and we'll be going on tour May 2nd through the 14th, he is going to be showing us some of these new uh, recently discovered vases that are made out of granite, dorite, and other very, very hard rock. And what makes this these, these displays quite fascinating to look at is the fact they were found in very early grave sites. I think some of the sites are like seven, six or 7,000 years old. And the the tombs themselves are uh, uh, of, of regular individuals, uh, and they're not very ornate. They're not, there's nothing special. It's like they dug a hole in the ground, they buried the guy, and they actually added these adornments of these very, very, highly crafted stoneware. And the real curiosity, and we're going to hear details about this, the real curiosities of these uh, stoneware pieces is that they were obviously cut on some kind of high revolution or high spinning uh, lathe. And if you don't know what a lathe is, it's you you take a block of wood or stone and you uh, put it in a high revolving machine. You, You attach... Uh, it in, on both ends, and it spun very quickly, and then you cut into it, and it, you can create perfectly round, cylindrical, or uh, oval-shaped vases. And this is what the curiosity is, and this is what uh, Muhammad addresses in his book, is the fact that they haven't found a few of these. They've found literally thousands of this stoneware from... And this is the real big question from an unknown culture that's not documented, uh, it's not written about. There's no hieroglyphs on these uh, on this stoneware. There's no uh, artist signature. It's very, very, very strange. And uh, it's been known about. In fact, I have a couple of friends that have purchased some of these vases before they were really known about. So they got them for a few hundred bucks. Uh, I mean, they're sold in, I mean, there's so many of them, literally thousands of them, that they, for a time, were sold on uh, eBay. Uh, you can still find them for thousands of dollars now. But eBay, uh, Sotheby's, and other auction houses were just, like, selling them by the thousands. And uh, now, the word's out. And now, if you can get your hands on one of these uh, stone vases, you are... You're in good shape. So uh, so we're going to be talk, talking about that with Muhammad, and uh, shortly we'll, we'll bring Jin Dale on. I want to mention that Earth Ancients now has really a very, very sophisticated 
and well-designed YouTube page in many of our uh, best programs and, uh, for that matter, eventually all of our programs will be uh, placed on this uh, web web page. It's it's called Earth Ancients Official, and you can go use that uh, type type that in uh, to the browser of uh, YouTube and check out all our our uh, videos because a lot of people like to see Graham Hancock or you want to see some of the demonstrations that Randall Carlson presented. Uh, we go way back. Uh, this and this is the fun part of this. Uh, I I used to have a Facebook page by a company in London and they just dropped it. They just, uh, someone didn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Long story short. And so it's our YouTube page has been down for the last, uh, I want to say two years. It's probably not that much. It's close to two years, 18 months. And now we have a brand new one put together by a a very, very uh, excellent production company. They do Coast to Coast AM. They do uh, George Nori. They do Ancient Aliens, A&E. So I'm really happy and uh, honored that they would uh, work with me. And you can check it out and see uh, these people I'm talking about. There's a lot of past interviews I've given. And uh, we use a Zoom technology, which is a video portion. And so those videos are now in the hands of this production company. And you can see, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, people that are we're talking to that we're interviewing, you know, holding artifacts, holding uh, photos, graphs, images of uh, material that is featured in the uh, interview. So check it out. Uh, YouTube, Earth Ancients Official. And see what you think. Send me an email. Send it to send it to earthancients for you at gmail.com and let me know what you think. So, all right, here's Jen Dale with some current events on uh, some new Egyptian discoveries. Hey, guess who I bumped into today? I bumped into Jen Dale, uh, Miss Archaeologist herself, and uh, Jen happened to discover a couple of fascinating articles we both had a chance to visit this is back i think 2018 saqqara with uh, muhammad imbrium and i wanted jen to come on the program and talk a little bit about this new discovery so much is coming out of this area of saqqara known as the necropolis it is uh, above ground and below ground when we were there last year we were in a crypt and saw a governor's, his, his, not only his tomb goods or crypt goods, but the amazing wall carvings that were just amazingly large. They were reliefs. So we want to talk a little bit about that. Hey, Jen. Hey, Cliff. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, real quickly, how's the weather in uh, Vermont? What's the... Uh, What's the temperature today? Well, I just got a cancellation of school tomorrow because we are getting ready to head into a winter vortex. Um, What does that mean? What's a vortex mean? um, It means it's going to be as cold as it is on Mars tomorrow. Negative 40. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cold here tomorrow. Um, 
Which is, it's not out of the normal per se. I mean, you know, extended periods of time, it would be out of the normal, but it'll come and go. We'll have about 24 to 36 hours of pretty darn cold weather. So I mean, seriously, Vermont, negative 40. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't imagine how cold that is. (laughs) Once it's cold, it's just cold. You can make some really good ice cream uh, in that weather, you know, freeze, uh, put your sticks in a in a mold and make some really good ice cream. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk about this, uh, these articles that you found. I'm really curious about this uh, young boy and talk a little bit about what his position was. But more importantly, he has a death mask that is more than just a facial cover. It covers his upper chest as well. And they found a cluster of amulets in his body. What what, what, what do they uh, uncover here? Yeah, this is a really cool, it's a really cool discovery. And mostly because it's so well intact. I mean, all of the finds that they just recently found. And this happened very recently. This is, you know, last week of January, basically, that they found all of this stuff. This boy is so fascinating because not only is he well intact, but he encompasses a number of really interesting facts about someone who might be mummified at 330 BC. That's that's the date that they're giving to him. We know that he was from a wealthy and high status family. And because of the um, level of mummification or embalming that is shown in the CT scan that you'll see, mm-hmm. um, his body is adorned with over 49 amulets. And these are made of gold and precious stone. And what's great about this is you can actually wear, see where they are throughout the body. Yeah, um, I love the CT scan. You can see all all the details front and on the side as well. Yeah, um, he, he obviously was from a wealthy family, right? Or was he was the family noted in the community? Or we don't know that. We don't know yet. Um, oh, that's okay. something that will hopefully come out as they look more at this boy. Some of the interesting things about him, his feet have, you know, some really beautiful either shoes or adornments on his feet. You'll notice they're, they're covered, um, likely with some sort of beaded shoe or some sort of anklets. He's uncircumcised. That's kind of unheard of for Egyptian folks. Really? Um, okay. And what that might mean is he's from somewhere else. So he could be, you know, from a family from elsewhere. I'd be curious, one of the things that they found in some of these newer mummies that they've um, uncovered are that, you know, what did they die of? What was the reason for their um, demise? Yeah. And this is a fairly young person. So I'll be very curious what comes of his cause of death or if they're able to determine what it is. Oftentimes when they see a young person like this die, they'll start looking at their bones and I know from previous mummies that they've investigated, they found a high instance of folks dying from, oh, it's just escaped me, from an illness that's very common even today that we get from mosquito bites and stuff like that. Um, very common in uh, equatorial areas and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. We'll see if the cause of death is something that is ascertainable. You know, one of the things I'm curious uh, uh, about your take on is this. You call it a death mask. Now, when we think of 
death masks, we think of Tutankhamun's amazing adorned golden death mask. This is more of an embroidery. It looks like it's an embroidery base with a with a firm facial mask. What I mean, I've never seen anything like this before. What do you say about that? Yeah, these later um, funerary masks are, you know, they're really distinctive. And it can also speak to him being from somewhere else. You know, these, okay. these different things, you know, maybe it means he's from somewhere in the Mediterranean or Anatolia, something to that effect where they take on how Egyptians, you know, uh, put someone, put somebody to rest and then incorporated some of their own traditions or rituals uh, or whatever they might be. Okay. Yeah. This is a, this is a really fascinating one. And it, you know, in the upper part of the, the article, it talks about this other mummy that they identified as well that was covered in gold, gold leaf. Um, this really, well, first of all, can you imagine opening a sarcophagus and seeing a mummy completely covered in gold? That would be awe-inspiring in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they discovered that this is an old kingdom mummy. So they believe it's between either the fifth or sixth dynasties. Now, I think that the old kingdom is the most interesting because we're talking about the first rulers of Egypt. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you think of the first rulers of Egypt, you're thinking of like Zoser, the, the step pyramid, which is where you got to go last time you were in Egypt. And exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and let's just for clarification, Old Kingdom is about 4,300 years ago, just exactly. in general. Really so, long time. Yeah. A really long time ago. <clears throat> and what do these, you know, this, this Old Kingdom or Sixth Dynasty, mummy and what they're saying is it's the most intact and the oldest uh mummy i almost called it a dummy <laughs> that they <laughs> that they have so yeah. oh my gosh what are we going to discover what will what will that mummy tell us i'm curious what is the thought process on this many amulets i've never seen a scan that reveals this many little combination of figurines and little perhaps semi-precious and precious stone amulets on the body. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're mostly, you know, they're protective. Um, you could call them superstitious. You could call them ritualistic. Mm -hmm. They're really put in there to um, either seek the protection of whichever God, um, you know, that this particular family revered. Or they could also be seen as, I've heard it said, that they were put on the body so that they could be used as payment as they were going through, you know, the different oh, levels of the duat. Right. So, you know, they were able, oh, I've got this eye of Horus on me made of turquoise. I'm going to hand this to, you know, the gods so I can make it through to the next level. To go to the next level. Exactly. Yeah. Um, are, was this found in... An area that is, uh, was it underground or was it in one of the local hills that were dug out? Well, from the sounds of it, this was all dug out. They they found a number of, what do I want to say? They were, they were deep chasms, ultimately, is what <laughs> they were. I mean, okay. they were very, they found, you know, they, they found a couple of different things, I guess I should 
say that because they did find some mastabas that were in there, which are those earliest burial chambers um, that were created by that first kingdom, that, right. that old kingdom group of people, those mastabas. But they also found really deep trenches, you know, and these could be reuse sites. These could be sites where, oh, uh, we know that grave robbers are coming in. So we're going to put all of these folks, we're going to put them in here because that makes more sense to do that. Yeah. Oftentimes these later burials and usually towards the end where you see more Greek influence, more Ptolemaic influence, more Roman influence, that's when you see that these priests took a lot of these higher higher status burials and move them into these mass graves or mass crypts. Fascinating. You know, with all these uh, discoveries now and probably into the future, they're going to have to build a new museum in Saqqara. There's one in Memphis that has a, a series of sculptures, but that's not close at all. And I'm looking at this article. They also have a number of these figurines, family figurines that they've found and they're simply outstanding little figurines. Yeah. They're just talk a little bit about them. They're they're uh, they still have some of the paint on them. Yeah, these are really beautiful. And I think the one that's so nice, it's it's with the woman holding on to either her husband or yeah, you know, uh, some sort of uh, higher status figure. These are generally, I think, what I've read about these in the past is that. They're like the guardians of your your crypt or your mastaba or your burial. Ah, okay. They're the ones that are, you know, they're either telling whoever enters, this is who is here, whether that be, you know, a god or a human being walking in and seeing it. One of the other really interesting facts about this these finds in general, I mean, they're finding all of these amazing grave goods and stuff like that. That golden mummy that they found, he had a really interesting moniker. They called him the guardian of secrets. What could really? that mean? Yeah. What's yeah. that? <laughs> I I heard that and I was, or when I was reading that and I was like, what does that even mean? Um, I think the other thing that I want to bring to attention about, you know, just the the level of of statues and then even just how different the hieroglyphs look when you look at this old kingdom versus maybe some of the newer it seems so silly saying newer stuff but it really is newer in relationship to how you know just the sheer antiquity of Egypt mm -hmm. but even the hieroglyphs look very different to me and uh, interesting the artistic representation <clears throat> You know, people almost look a little flat and you'll notice that the ankles are, you know, they got some thick legs. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's interesting how you see um, just artistically how things are changed and representation of human beings. It changes through time and it's really um, it's remarkable. Fantastic. I am going to post some of these photographs that Jen has sent me, uh, specifically this uh, young boy. The scans that show all these amulets and this amazing death mask that I have never seen before. It's very, very curious, very uh, ornate and, and kind of fun to look at. So uh, thanks for the article, Jen. Thanks for the uh, analysis. And um, wow, so much happening in Saqqara. Yeah. See you, Cliff. If you got a minute or two, check out the body scan of this uh, young boy. 
the golden headwear is really strange. And then the body amulets, it's like uh, he must have been a very, not only well-off, from a well-off family, but he must have been somewhat important. So check that out. You can see it on Earth Ancients Facebook, or if you're not into the social media, go to uh, earthancients.com and check out Facebook feed. Very, very, very unusual adornment, burial adornment. Jen's going to be on the program semi-regularly now and uh, presenting not only discoveries, but some of her own research. And um, always fun to have her on the program. All right. My guest today is Mohammed Embriam. He is the archaeologist, uh, Egyptologist, and um, he is our tour guide also every year. And our program today is Egypt Before Written History. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ali is here to help. Ali invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ali is here to help. Ali invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. talk to Muhammad today about elements of a new book he's just finished writing it's in the pro- process of being published and this is a Cairo an Egypt that we don't have a clue about Muhammad is a native he was born in Cairo he was well in a nearby city but in the Cairo uh, province and when we're on tour he talks about the antiquity the great antiquity of Egypt that we don't hear about. We all hear about the pharaohs, Tutankhamun, Ramses, 
Seti the First and so on. But today we're going to hear about an Egypt we don't know about. So without further ado, Mohammed, great to see you. And we're looking forward to hearing more about this ancient Egypt. How are you? I'm very good. How are you, Cliff? It's always a pleasure to join your podcast. It's wonderful to have you. Let's start off and let's talk a little bit about you and as a child being raised in in Egypt. The locals must have had stories about the great age, pre-Diluvian or pre-dynastics. Let's start off about the, the, the what makes Egypt so sacred. When you ask this question, I, when I try to find an answer, uh, I thought it is easy to answer your question, but actually it is very difficult. Not because there is no answer or the answer is hard, but no, because there are so many things I can tell you. Thousands of, uh, of stories and uh, uh, evidence and uh, uh, many, many uh, ways to answer the question. But I can tell you one thing. That one thing is the Egyptian heritage is very long and it covers all the aspects of uh, mathematics, chemistry, astronomy, physics, uh, zoology. If you uh, study the Egyptian history in a good way, you will understand that the in, above the walls of the tombs and the uh, above the walls of the uh, uh, temples and tombs, you will see records for so many things. As if the ancient Egyptians were uh, masters in everything in our uh, life, everything surrounding us. That's why when we look deeper to the ancient sites, uh, we will understand that uh, ancient Egypt was not only a huge location for great civilization, but also great wisdom, great knowledge. And one of the main things we uh, we understand and, and we explain in our tours that the, the land itself is energetic land. So the land of Egypt, almost in the uh, center point of Earth, from north, south side, and from east-west side, and as if something running under the ground of Egypt, some kind of magnetism or uh, kind of positive energy. It makes you, when you come to Egypt, you feel safe. You feel home. You you don't feel stranger in Egypt, especially when you come with positive energy, when you come with good expectations. You you find yourself as if in, in a place you know. So this kind of welcoming energy made Egypt or made that feeling about Egypt that Egypt is truly the motherland. And I uh, explained to uh, all the uh, participants of my tours that somehow all our ancestors one day lived together in Egypt. I was in the Egyptian Museum yesterday with uh, one of my groups, and I was showing them slowly the faces of the statues. And uh, they, without even telling them, I was just asking them, what kind of nation you think this uh, these features of this statue belong to? They told me some statues look Asian, 
Yeah. Some statues look African. Some statues look Mediterranean. Some statues look uh, Babylonian. And some look uh, Sumerian. They have the Sumerian type of uh, hair and beard. And we saw some statues look like South America, like Jamaican, exactly the Jamaican uh, style and uh, the style of hair. So I told them, we are not looking to modern art. This is ancient art. We are talking about thousands of years ago. So these features, these people existed in Egypt thousands of years ago. So we are not talking, because if, if it is happening in modern days, we may talk about immigrations. We may talk about foreign merchants came, settled in Egypt. But no, we are talking about three to 4,000 years ago. So there was no such merchants who will come and uh, settle in foreign places like that. But these features are pure Egyptian features. So three so, or 4,000 years ago, you're saying that Egypt was a, a cultivated a multicultural, multiracial population. Are you suggesting that people immigrated to Egypt from around the world? No, they were Egyptians and immigrated from out of Egypt. And also so many statues, especially statues made out of wood and uh, of copper. We have some statues with green eyes, some statues with blue eyes, yeah. blonde hair, and some mummies with red hair and blonde hair. Blonde, maybe, maybe like, but what, what is red hair? Red hair is like North Europe, like in Scotland and Ireland. Okay, how come we have red hair? In but uh, as I say, these are some evidence, not all of it, that ancient Egypt is the uh, motherland of all humans. So let's talk about the great age of Egypt. Um, you discovered, and I think you write about this in your book, that pre-dynastic, even earlier than pre-dynastic period, they have found Homo sapien bones, not Neanderthal, not Denificent, but Homo sapien bones in a tomb that are tens of thousands of years old. Talk a little bit about that. Okay, if you allow me to take you in, in a small journey in history to talk about the skeletons were found from ancient Egypt. Most of these discoveries were made by a Belgium expedition and Belgium uh, archaeologist. They found in the beginning uh, a skeleton for a person. We call it Nazlet Khater person. Nazlet Khater near Abydos. Oh, that, okay. per that person, when they carbon dated the uh, skeleton, they found it is between 18,000 and 23,000, 24,000 BC. And then they started to become very interested in, in this and they said, uh, let's uh, try to go to uh, faraway locations from the valley. So they went uh, south of uh, Aswan, near the Sudanese border. They found a huge cemetery with 62 skeletons in, in a place called Gabal Sahaba or Jabal Sahaba. When they carbon dated these skeletons, they found that they are between 15,000 and 17,000 BC. But it is not an individual skeleton like Nazlet Khater. Nazlet Khater near Abydos, by the way. Okay. 
Uh, sorry, uh, so Wadi Kubaniya. No, that is Wadi Kubaniya. The the twenty three thousand years old is Wadi Kubaniya near Aswan, and Gabal Sahaba near the Sudanese borders, seventeen to twenty thousand BC. But as I said, there are sixty two skeletons. This area nowadays is very dry area, like one of the locations in the uh, deep desert. Okay. It is not good for living at all, even for wild animals. But according to that, one day it was green. It was very good for living. So they started to move north uh, to a place near Dendera Temple. Uh, and they moved to uh, Abydos. In Abydos, they found that skeleton, 35,000 BC, for a big man. And they found a small uh, flint tool next to him, like round, maybe like an, a kind of a, an axe or uh, a small hammer. And then near Dandara, they found two skeletons, one in bad condition and one in terrible condition. So unfortunately, they, they were not in good uh, shape. So the one in, in like 50 or 30 percent condition, they managed to do analysis and uh, carbon dated this skeleton it, for a boy between 8 and 10 years old. And that skeleton is 55,000 or 55,000 55, BC. And that is, yes. I, myself, I personally saw the Gabal Sahaba systems. I saw it in the British Museum. And I saw the uh, Wadi Kobaniya skeleton, and I have photos for Gabal Sahaba skeletons and Wadi Kobaniya, and for Nazlet Khater person. So I saw the three of them, the 17,000 and the 23,000 and the 35,000. But I didn't see the skeleton of, of the 55,000 BC. That skeleton, nobody saw it. We only saw uh, photos because it is in a bad condition, as I mentioned, and it is in a kind of a room, special room, and under restoration, I think they're trying to provide the, the skeleton with some good environment in order to be not to deteriorate. So I saw this skeleton personally, have many photos for them. Uh, if we stop at this level, maybe the, the story of uh, human development can be true. And we can stop at the level, yes, of uh, Homo sapien and Homo sapien sapien and Yantidrals. But... That is not the case. The geologists uh, with archaeologists, uh, of course, all around the world, but I'm talking about Egypt. All what I'm saying now is about Egypt. They found tools. Of course, we have 12,000 uh, BC, tools from 12,000 BC, and tools from 25,000 BC, and then tools 50,000 BC, and tools 100,000 150,000 BC, 250,000 BC, 500,000 BC, 1 million and 500,000 BC. And the oldest tool we have in Egypt, we found in Egypt, flint stone, was found in a place called Abbasaya, Abbasaya, North East Cairo, near the airport. They found some tools, and, and we have these tools at the Civilization Museum now. These tools, according to the Belgium expedition, 2.3 million species. 
2.3 million. Yeah, but we don't know what kind of a hominin it was, I guess. Look, it is easy to understand because when you look to uh, the flint tool, and I had to join uh, a short course about how to make tools from flint. Right. There are some, some of the techniques is to hit the two flints together and then you will find or you will take what was naturally produced. If it is like a small edge or long or uh, uh, like a cranky shape or zigzag, okay, you, you will be happy and take what was made by, by right. this question. Okay? That style, I can tell you, yes, we can claim that Neantidral or even Gorillas can do this, okay? Because it's a matter to have just like big muscles in, in the, the arms and you hit the two pieces together. But there is some techniques were used to shape the flint in a certain way. As if the person who was doing this, he was targeting certain shape. That's why we have some flint tools look exactly like so, like a so. Great so. And some, they look like curve, like a, a so in a curve shape. Were there any that were shaped like arrowheads? And some like arrow's head. Different so that, also. Yeah, that would be intelligent design. That would be somebody who knows what they're looking for. And they shaped some uh, tools to be like a drill. We we found it looks like a drill with, with a thin blade, long, thin uh, blade. Okay, so they make it to, to use it to drill things, to make holes in surfaces. Okay, some knives... And I always look to the uh, flint uh, knives and I always wondered how come they shape it this way? And did we imitate the, the stone uh, knife or the people who made the, the knife to look like this shape, they imitated an, an, a knife from advanced ages and, and these knives disappeared later. You know, it is quite confusing because you look to the uh, old knife, it is exactly the same like the modern knife we use, the same shape. It is only different material. And wow. they made it, and they made the edge very thin. Okay? So I don't know who was copying who. They copied, we copied them or they copied our advanced ancestors. Hmm. Okay? So, so that is my point. Uh, no one can claim that these tools were made by primitive or, or uh, less human. No, in my opinion, they were made by intelligent humans because, again, they were shaping these tools to match, and that is, I believe, the, the right way, to match some of the modern tools we are using nowadays. So as if these tools were being used a long time ago and because of some disasters, People were died or uh, were uh, they lost their technology or they lost their tools and abilities like computers and uh, uh, this kind of electronics. So they had to go from zero again. They had to use flint in order to survive. So you're thinking that there was a disaster. These are at one time sophisticated people and then they had to restart. Exactly. And I'm not thinking about just one disaster. I'm thinking about many civilizations and many disasters. So as if 
a complete civilization will take between 20,000 and 25,000 years. Mm-hmm. And disaster will be the reason uh, for the end of that, that disaster. So the mm-hmm. story of, okay, I'm not here trying to bring uh, the full story of Atlantis, but I'm bringing the end. So the end of this Atlantis, in my opinion, happened many times. So there was many civilizations similar to the one we call it Atlantis, and they were all destroyed the same way. Hmm. That's why if you uh, heard me carefully when I was talking about the, the group of flints we found and the dates, we've, we, there are gaps between uh, these flint uh, tools. When, when I say 150,000, the, the later group or the earlier group is 250. So we didn't find 180, we didn't find 190 or 270, we found 250. And between 250 or before 250, 500. And then one, so there are gaps. These gaps, in my opinion, there was civilized uh, nations. Yeah, so you're saying gaps in the the layers of the sediment of, of ground. Yes, exactly. That's where they found them higher and then the deeper they go. They date them and it gets into the millions. Yes. So my point that, uh, let's say, at the uh, time, uh, 200,000 BC, we didn't find flint from that time. Why? Because my guessing that there was advanced civilization, so they don't oh. use metal. But metal uh, decayed and uh, deteriorated, because of, deteriorated because of time. But flint tool lasted. Stones last longer than metal. So, so in the case where they found these very, very early flints, uh, was that the Belgium scientific team that was finding those, or was that another group that was excavating? Mainly the Belgium, okay, because they were interested in that part of Egypt. They they were not interested much in archaeology uh, as, a, as a historical... Uh, um, target for them, but they were interested more about the very early uh, remains of humans and uh, human tools. Okay. And I something, uh, I saw an object many, many times at the Egyptian Museum, uh, and I was talking about another story also many times. I didn't make connections between the two stories before yesterday. I was talking about an obsidian tool was found in Kenya and that tool the uh, uh, the estimate time is 4 million BC that one was found in Kenya okay uh, that tool was made from obsidian and there is an obsidian tool in the Egyptian museum but I I didn't try to find out what, what is the uh, story behind this obsidian tool until yesterday and I paid attention to the label, and I found that we don't know much about this tool. It was given by one of the Egyptian kings in uh, ni- around 1920, 1925, called King Fouad. It was in his private collection. So uh, I thought this is, could be uh, similar to the obsidian tool was found in Kenya. So we may have a tool four millions BC. Wow. In Egypt. Now, I want you to explain something. When I first met you uh, physically in 2018, well, I think that was our first tour, 
you made a very significant claim and you backed it up with advanced tools. You found and discovered that uh, in Egypt, there were burial sites that were, I'm guessing at 30,000, 40,000 years ago, very crude burials. But among the burial goods, there were very uh, uh, sophisticated stone vases and bowls that had been cut on a power lathe. Talk about those discoveries, because those are amazing. This shows that there were cycles and that these items were, were treasures. Go ahead. Exactly. And that is great for you to bring up this uh, part. Look, uh, when Egyptology started uh, around uh, 1920, 1922, that science became very... It started a little bit earlier, but uh, that was the, the time when it was like great science. Most of the scholars were uh, happy to become Egyptologists. So they were all talking about the beginning of the Egyptian dynasties, and they started to talk about the Egyptian history, which started around 3000 or 3500 BC, and they uh, arranged the Egyptian rulers into 30 dynasties and three main eras, Old Kingdom, Middle Kingdom, New Kingdom, and everything was going in a nice way, smooth, <laughs> until some geologists started to put their uh, attention in, in the field, and they found some tombs and some objects and they said, according to science, it is not speculation, it is not from uh, written data, no, it is, it is science, it is analysis. It says that these tombs are older than dynasties, 4000 BC, 5000 BC, and 6000 BC, till 9000 BC. And they found thousands of pottery jars, and they managed to understand the sequence of the development of these jars from a uh, very, very primitive style, zero deco decoration and art, to get some decoration, some art to develop in a better way, okay? But still a kind of uh, industry under the label primitive. And by the way, we know for sure that the pottery wheel was not invented during the what we call it now the pre-dynastic time. It was invented during the second dynasty of ancient Egypt, the buttery wheel. So all the buttery jars and all the uh, the buttery work from the pre-dynastic was done by hand. So far, that is still okay, and the story is 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 going in a, in a good way. There there is a, a kind of uh, symmetrical. Uh, or let's say uh, good development from pre-dynastic to dynastic. But the problem is, as you said, they found also thousands of super quality jars and vases and blades from hard materials. Like granite so, and, and red granite and some of the hardest rock known to man. Let me tell you exactly. We found many from alabaster. Alabaster is as granite, but it is still quite hard to carve alabaster because it is a kind of a stone, we call it rock crystal. So you don't, uh, you will not be able to use a chisel or a hammer 
And by the way, there was no chisels or hammers even during this time. It was some kind of wooden tools and maybe some flint. And we found many from granite, from rose granite and from black granite. We found so many from a stone similar to granite. We call it the prophetic stone. It has the same texture of granite and it is very tough. It is seven on most scale, that prophetic stone. And we found some from a harder stone than granite. We call it granodurite. That is very tough stone. And there is one that piece is the biggest question ever. Look, the, the solidness scale, uh, the scale of solidness, we call it MOHS scale, M-O-H-S. It says, that zero is talc, uh, the talc, the powder, that uh, talc for babies. Uh, Ten is diamond, okay? So we have uh, limestone is three, alabaster uh, is four, basalt is five, granite is uh, six and seven, uh, granodurite 6.5, and then we have something is, is nine. One uh, stone is nine and diamond is ten. The ancient Egyptians made a vase from this stone, which is nine, Corandum. So we found a vase, and I have the photos for this vase. It is nine. And why it is nine? Because it contains ashes of iron. So we are not talking about uh, felspar like granite or even quartz. No, that is now iron. Mm. So have a carved uh, a stone with iron without even copper chisel. So we must understand that we are talking about people didn't use bronze or, or copper chisel yet. That was used during the old kingdom. Okay. So how come these people who can hardly, who could hardly do the pottery jars, they did that great art and, and fine. And, and by the way, when you look to the vases, they are not just good. No, they are super. Yeah. When we see the, the, the sides, the, the rim, the lip, uh, they are super quality from outside and from inside. Let me just stop you real quick. Keep the thought. So wouldn't you call that machined? Some technology is cutting that hard, hard stone. 100%. Yes. Machines for, for sure. Nothing else. Yeah. Because how, how I make my judgment, it is the, the, the symmetrical uh, vase. Both sides are symmetrical. I know I saw it by my eyes. I didn't do analysis because they are all behind the glass. But you can tell when you see it, you can easily tell that this is perfectly made. And as I told you, I am, was able to look inside. And when you look inside, you don't see any... Uh, uh, deformities or any problem. They, they are all perfect also from inside, the same like from outside. And so all there's, the no, side- there's, no, there's no flaws whatsoever. It's perfectly no smooth. No styrations, by the way. Okay, so they are super smooth. Um, I was taking a photo to one of them and uh, the, the flash was uh, going out like electronically, like I didn't... Uh, uh, know how to turn it off. So when I check the photo, I found that the, the side of the vase reflected the light as if it is a mirror. So that is one of the uh, of the super qualities I saw. 
I visit what we call it alabaster factory in Luxor in, in our tours. And I am, I am very aware with what we can call it handmade vase, uh, made by uh, primitive techniques and uh, by manual tools. We can tell the difference easily. Okay. And the man is showing always our clients that this is the machine made, which can be done in one hour. And this is the handmade vase, which can be made in like one week or sometimes one month to sell it with high price. Guess what? That the one at the Egyptian museum, it is exactly like the one he is saying, this is machine made. Wow. So those, uh, I, I see it as one of the very important evidence that this uh, culture or, or these groups of people, of course, didn't do any of these uh, vases or uh, jars. But what is the uh, how we can solve this problem? The only solution that they found them. But if they found them, who made them? Who made these jars? It must be an earlier advanced civilization. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we will return with my guest, Mohammed Embriam, who's coming to us from Cairo today. And uh, we'll get more details on just what is in this new book of his called Egypt Before Written History. We'll be right back. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I'm speaking with Mohammed Imbriam, who's coming to us from Cairo today, on his new book, Egypt Before Written History. And this is a look at a number of anomalous discoveries and uh, indigenous revelations from perhaps the people that we don't know about, who they were, and what they have left us. The grave sites that uh, these jars and vases were in, what was the date of those skeletons? Repeat the question, the dates of the... Yeah, so in these tombs, they found these advanced cut lathe-style vases. How old were the skeletons of the people who were collecting these? These jars were found in what we call it tombs of pre-dynastics. They are between 9,000 BC and 4,000 BC. Okay, that's pretty old. (laughs) So there was an epic, a lost epic, that that we don't know about. And the Egyptologists do not recognize what you found. In other words, 
you, you, they don't want to touch that, do they? Exactly. And um, I, I was feeling very strange because in uh, in many uh, places they uh, they put the two uh, types of jars together. They put the flint. They put the the uh, the fancy jar, the hard uh, type or the hard stone jar next to a pottery jar, as if they belong to the same technology. They belong to the same era. Oh my which is god! The, like, how come you, any child is going to see the difference easily? Um, that that alone is uh, is is insane. Uh, let me ask you right now: they the old museum. Is still where we where we go and see these pots. Did we ever see any of these cut, uh, lathe cut, highly skilled vases when we were visiting the the museum? Are there are they on display? Ah uh, yes, uh, they are now uh, one uh, one of the main parts of the Egyptian museum okay. because before they start building the Grand Museum. The uh, old museum was backed, and the, the uh, objects were too much for, or too many for the museum. But because they took many pieces out to the Grand Museum, so there was lots of uh, spaces. So the display now is much better than before. So this time, when we visit the Egyptian Museum, we are going to see these uh, jars and uh, vases in a better way. Cool. They fixed uh, the lights at the ceiling. Uh, they started to put them in bigger showcases. So this time we are going to see it in, in a good way. Okay. But yes, this, and the Egyptian museum is not going to be closed. No, it will be opening because there are lots of things to see. They took some parts and uh, Tutankhamun collection, but um, more than 75% still there at the old museum. Excellent. Um, I want to talk to you. I want to move on now. When we visit Dandera, and we'll be visiting this amazing city when we're on our tour in May, at the Hathor Temple, the ground, the floor of that temple is truly megalithic. In fact, the stones are, are they weigh probably several tons each, and they're connected by those keys. Uh, and at some time, at some point, there was an amalgam of metal or copper that held those together. As an Egyptian, as a native Egyptian, the locals that you talk about must know that that temple has been continuously occupied for much more than a few thousand years, wouldn't you say? Ah, uh, yes. Well, look, uh, as a local. I may don't know exactly the date of the temple, but I know the function of the temple. And the locals in that area, they knew the function and they used the temple to serve this need for healing. So they understood that there is healing power in that temple. If you search uh, for photos, old photos for this temple, like uh, more than or paintings, 100 years old uh, or maybe older, you will find something very interesting that there in front of the door or the gate of the temple, there was a village occupying that area in front of the temple. So in order to go inside the temple, you had to maneuver inside the village, the, like a, a, a small, tiny aisle 
between the houses to reach the the temple and 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 in other cases like in Luxor temple there was houses inside the temple itself uh, from mud bricks so what is the case that these people understood that there is kind of energy healing energy comes out from the walls and from the the pillars and they wanted to feel this energy but they built their houses from mud bricks because when they go inside these houses they will be disconnected with this energy because too much of this energy is not good only for uh, some maybe a few minutes or one hour or so but as a good student of uh, egyptology and i had the chance to uh, lead tours with some famous engineers and the people who are interested in that kind of uh, science and constructions i was able to see from a different perspective the number one the symmetrical or symmet- the symmetry between the pillars and the uh, the heads of hatur because each pillar uh, the cap the capstone or the capital of the pillar is designed as hatur from right. four sides okay so uh, as an example christopher dunn made some analysis and he made drawings and he found that the uh, pillars are exactly exist or located in a in a distance there is a distance in between the same between each two pillars all of them have the same distance in between either from the front or the back the right side or the left side okay that is number one number two the same size all of them are the same size although that they are not the same like they are not regular cylindrical column no they they are wide at the base and they are tapers to they they are tapering to the top okay that is impossible to be done manually even for one pillar because you can miss from the right side or the left side one will be bigger a little bit or the angle but imagine that all of them are the same wow and the uh, the figures of uh, hatur at the top which and also i'm talking about big blocks uh, some of the blocks uh, the smallest are two and three tons the average 5 to 10 tons and there are some blocks about 20 tons hmm. and the blocks are the blocks at the ceiling when we go and uh, walk to that room with the famous scene we call it the zodiac there are blocks huge blocks like the size, the, the size of the bus like that bus 50 seats there are some blocks the same size of the bus exactly <laughs> there and how it was supported and the the story of that design they carve between two blocks uh, we call it the the bird tail because it looks like the bird tail and by the way in some other countries uh, other ancient uh, civilization they made similar like in peru also and it was found in some temples in india they claim that they put wood or metal to support or to connect between the two blocks uh, the word connect i agree with i i see it this way but it is not to to connect between them as physical connection like n- not to make it solid or to resist vibrations or um, to, not to fall apart no my opinion they are connecting between them 
to allow the energy current to go through. If it was made from metal, but if it was made from wood, this is the, the switch off. Uh. They don't energy flow to continue to this section. Yeah. That's why there are so many, or, or most of them disappeared. Yeah, all and the keys, ca- they're called keys, the, the, the pieces that fit between the blocks. Yes, right. Looks like two triangles. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so if you want to make the energy current to continue to the end, you keep putting metal. These are copper was the, the uh, best metal they use. But if you want that the energy to stop at certain point, you put wood. So wood will not uh, be conductive and wood will stop the current. I never thought of that. That's a, that's amazing. What's fascinating to me when we look at these megalithic temples like uh, Hathor, uh, Muhammad, is the fact that the floor, those keys we're talking about, you see them in Cusco, Peru. You see them right. in other megalithic sites that have been dated that they, they don't know. That could be 50, 100,000 years ago that the mm-hmm. basics of this temple in Egypt were, was built. Um, I, the Egyptologies, uh, Egyptologists don't address this at all, at all, which is really quite frustrating. Now, unfortunately, they focus more about writings. Or they focus on writings. If, yeah. if saying that uh, the Roman emperor, uh, Augustus or Neron, uh, that his name is written there somewhere. So this part was made during the time of Augustus. If we found the name uh, Ptolemy, one of the Greek rulers of Egypt, so we relate the temple to the... If we find older name, they relate the place to the older name. Although that there are some names very old to this uh, in, uh, was found in this uh, temple, we found the name uh, Naktanebu, that is one of the rulers of the 30 dynasty, the last ruler of uh, ancient Egypt, Egyptian ruler, 30 dynasty. We found the name Imenemhat from Middle Kingdom. We found the name King Bibi from dynasty, dynasty 6. But they don't try to involve with this because we know for sure that some places were built on top or let's say on the foundations of ancient temples. And some temples were rebuilt to imitate the blueprint of some ancient temples. Right. Like we say that Karnak Temple, the original Karnak Temple was all granite and alabaster one day. But it was rebuilt during dynasties by limestone and sandstone, with some of the pieces uh, survived from the disaster, some pieces from granite and alabaster. But dynasties could use granite and alabaster like the advanced civilization, and they, they rebuilt the place from uh, they rebuilt the place from sandstone and limestone. So, yes, we have to think about the uh, age of these huge temples, and uh, we must uh, go in deeper layers to find the truth about the builders of these sites. Right. We could talk uh, about this forever. For those of you listening, our tour in 2023 is the 4th through the 17th of this year. And if you want more information, you can go to earthancients.com 
forward slash tours. Look for the Egyptian temple. Click on it, and you'll see our entire itinerary. We, we still have a few spaces left, and uh, this is this is an amazing tour. As we conclude, I want to ask you something that you talk about regarding the new kingdom. And this is the phase of Ramsey II, and he's noted for this great renaissance of building and statuary and things like that. Chris Dunn analyzed a lot of these Ramsey II uh, dedication statues and believed that they were carved using some kind of machinery. There's some people who believe, and I think you do too, that he just placed his cartouche on these existing statues from a much earlier place. Or my confusion, and I'd like to hear from you on this, there was some kind of a Renaissance period in this new kingdom period where he was uh, a pharaoh, and perhaps they found or they resurrected some technology and built these statues and built these temples. What, what's the story? Yes, there are so many buildings and statues uh, have, uh, have the name Ramses II. Some of, of the techniques were used to make this name are very uh, produced very high quality cartouches. Some no produced low quality and some are like rough quality. Also, some of the buildings are regular buildings. Can no problem to say it was done by uh, regular uh, or by dynasties. Yeah. Some are very very strange or let's say very huge size, like the Ramesseum Temple. If you visit the Ramesseum Temple you are going to see two completely different things. Temple from sandstone and limestone. Uh, yes, some of the size are huge, some of the pillars and uh, the walls, but it can be done because they were made from blocks, courses above each other. Okay, But in the same time, inside the temple, there is a giant statue with the name Ramses II, that giant statue was made from one single piece of uh, rose granite. And the estimate weight for this uh, statue, 1,000 ton. So then you, you must stay like uh, stand and ask <laughs> the um, This one is, uh, is not uh, like, it doesn't match the technique of this statue how it was made, it doesn't match the technique of the temple. The same in Luxor Temple. When you go to Luxor Temple, you will see the same thing, that the temple, which is like considered as great temple, very good, but still the, the material still limestone. And by the way, I don't uh, argue much when I see a statue uh, from limestone because it is possible to be done. Even if huge, if it is like super quality, still possible. Because limestone is not that hard material. But when you talk about granite, no, we must stop, not a minute, we must stop years, for years, uh, trying to figure out how they carve granite. And they carve granite in a, in a very uh, easy way. Although that granite is very hard material, and the human face, the human body, uh, and the crown, there are hundreds of radius, different radius. So they are not drawing 2D art, 2Ds. No, it is three, di three dimension. So 
So the radius of the forehead, the nose, the cheeks, the mouth, and then the neck, the muscles of the shoulder, and the arms and the chest, they show you great ability. So you will never doubt the use of not only high technology, but it's a kind of superior technology. Yeah. And I can tell, you, can tell you easily, and and I learn it not to uh, to say it that way, but truly, the these statues can can easily make you say it this way. It is impossible to do it in our modern days. That kind of quality is impossible to be done this ways, this way in modern days with modern tools. So. A human sculptor cannot do it. It has to be a machine that is cutting the precision of that granite. Yeah. What machines we don't have. Yeah. Don't have these machines. Okay. Because again, I'm, I'm talking about statues. If we talk about the Ramasim temple, 1000 tons. If we talk about Luxor temple, 700, 500 to 700 tons. If we talk about Memnon statues at the West Bank, 700 ton uh, from uh, Quartzite. So uh, the the material here is the problem. Yes, we may have machines can do some uh, perfect statues in modern days, but small size. So we talk about two meters high, okay, maybe maximum three meters, uh, or most of it like life size statues. But we are talking about giant statues. We are talking about 300 tons, 500, 700, and 1,000 tons. And they are perfect. There is no mistake. When you uh, do analysis to the faces and to the body, they are symmetrical. The left side is matching the right side 100%. Okay. Right. The, these are uh, great evidences that there was something weird happened uh, during that time. Because uh, according to some other statues, we can easily say it was made by hand tools. Yes, there was great talent. There was uh, people was uh, they they wanted to do some good art. They were patient. They were good in what they were doing, but they couldn't produce the same thing or the same type of art. We can see it on the other statues. So Ramses II is written in some of these statues were made by people from 19th dynasty. And we will see also that in the Egyptian museum. As soon you get inside the main building, you see two statues, one on the left side and one on the right side. The one on the left side has the name Ramses II, and it was made in a very good way. And I always tell the people, look, this statue is not pre-cataclysm. This is not uh, was not made by high technology, but it was made with great talent. Okay, it was 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 very uh, talented uh, sculpture. But I showed them the difference between the 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 toes and the muscles and the the knees and the face and the second statue on the right side, which has the name son of Habu, also uh, from New Kingdom, but for a high priest. Or for uh, for a high priest, yes, you immediately realize the difference. So, if you focus only on the statue on the left side with Ramses, you may mistakenly think it was made by big machine, but no, 
When you see the one on the right side, you immediately realize the difference. Okay. okay. So let me just and say, let me go ahead, finish. The other one was made, as I say, in that easy way. It didn't take much time because they had the proper tool to do it. But the first one, in my opinion, it took years to be finished, maybe more than five years, because they have to be very patient, uh, because when it comes to small details like the nose, like the ear, like the toes, they must be very precise or they're going to break something. And if they break just the toe, the whole work uh, will be a great failure. But the other side, no, you'll find that they make the, the space deep between the, the fingers and the toes. They make the details of the inside ear very easy because they had the proper tool. Okay, so here's my question. And I hope uh, we talked about this earlier. Uh, we're going to be going to uh, a part of Saqqara. We're going to Memphis to see this Ramsey II sculpture that weighs almost a thousand tons. And by the way, it's was uh, its twin is in the new museum. And each of this is what Chris Dunn found. Each of these Ramsey II sculptures are stylistic. The faces don't look like him. They represent a god. And this is where he's saying that these are machined. So are you saying that there was a renaissance during Ramses II? And then what would you, what would you say about this 1000 ton statue that's laying on its back that is so perfectly cut and sanded and formed that there's no way a human being could have cut it? Where is that coming from? What, what area, what time in history? Look, yes, for sure there was a renaissance during New Kingdom, 18th dynasty and 19th dynasty. Okay, and they yeah. did. But it happens, in my opinion, that when they were producing these very beautiful statues, they didn't resist to add the name of the king on these perfect statues. So they did, again, I shall repeat, they did very good statues, but they put name on the perfect statues. So the perfect statues, like you mentioned, like the Ramesseum uh, temple, the 1,000 tons, like the Luxor temple statues, 500 tons, and like the uh, in Memphis, they found two statues, one from granite, and that one now in the uh, entrance, at the entrance of the Grant Museum. Right. And Second one from limestone. That one is in Memphis uh, Open Air Museum, and we're going to add this to our itinerary to see it, because this one is unique statue. I was saying that if they made a statue from limestone, it will not be a big deal with me, but this one is a big deal. This one is giant statue. And I always say to cut limestone is not hard like granite, but to cut such big piece of limestone, it is not easy. It is not okay to find this big piece of limestone cheap. You know, to cut this piece of limestone, they have to go from 20 to 40 meters under the quarry. They cannot cut this long piece from any location of the quarry. They, they have very limited options. But the best chance for them is to go from 20 meters to 40 meters under the ground, under the quarry, as if it's like a, a deep mine. 
And and while taking this piece out, it is very risky because in any minute it can be broken. Any hidden crack or unknown crack in the uh, uh, the, the the body of uh, the stone or the sphinx of the statue later can cause great damage to the statue. If they use also uh, manual tools to carve this statue, it is high possibility also to crack this the statue because doing a limestone statue uh, like one meter high or two meters is not like uh, for 14 or 15 meters high. So my, in my opinion, that is impossible. And as you said, we come to the features. Yes, the, the details of the statue is phenomenal. When you look to the face as if it is like living, uh, alive statue. When you look to the eyes, the nose, the, the eye pros, the muscles, part of the statue, the, the left part, the left side of the statue, unfortunately, is not in a, in a good condition because it was lying on its back and the flood or the water of the flood used to hit that part. So it's not in a good condition. But the other side, the right side, is in, in a perfect uh, condition. So you see all the details of the shoulders and the arm, the muscle, the, the elbow, the, the, the nails and the cuticle, everything in, in a perfect shape. So uh, uh, it is very clear that Ramses II or the workers of Ramses II put his name on that statue also. So Ramses just had a big ego and put his cartouche on a number of the pre-dynastic statues that we see in museums. We see him at Luxor and also I don't I don't think there's a Ramsey II cartouche on that Memphis statue, is there? Oh, there is. (laughs) Boy, Ramsey's had a monstrous ego. All right. Hey, this has been really fun. I want to conclude with your thoughts on, and you started the uh, interview with this, Muhammad, and that is this sacred energy that is pulsing up from the ground in not just Cairo, not under the great Cheops pyramid, not under the, I mean, it's under all the buildings. We don't ever hear about this from the Egyptologists. They completely ignore that. Is that because they're desensitized to the energy or is it just because it's the natives like you who have this rich understanding of their native land, that this is a special healing place and that these temples were known about, the healing energy was known about the pre-dynasters? Uh, yes, as a native, I know this, and uh, I used to know stories about people uh, going to the ancient sites asking for healing. Unfortunately, uh, Egyptologists, uh, maybe they don't they are not aware with this because they don't study this in uh, in the history books all what they study about history about uh, ancient religion structures but they never try to think about uh, the real function of these sites i always see the sites especially the big temples are, are like our modern hospitals healing centers and the natives as i explained earlier the, the the villages and the uh, towns uh, near these sites, they understood this fact, and they were dealing with these sites 
from this point that these are healing centers. And as I, I told you, uh, if you come to Egypt, modern Egypt, uh, 70 or 100 years ago, that will be very popular. You, you can hear stories if we have some people still alive from the beginning of the 20th century or 18th, 17th, 15th, they will tell you, yes, these sites has healing energy and we go from time to time to receive this energy. Okay, so, and, and that's, I mean, not all the temples, obviously in the later dyna- dynasties, they didn't build their temples over sacred centers, but a lot of the temples were built for healing, for uh, for wisdom, for connecting with the ancients through meditation and so forth, correct? Yes, but don't forget, even these temples were built by dynasties. They were built above the uh, energetic land, ground, or above uh, the foundation of an ancient site. So sometimes it's in the ground itself, which has the energy, not necessarily the building. Okay. From the uh, pre-dynastic or uh, pre-cataclysm, yes. Amazing. Um, hey, give us the name of your book because it's going to be coming out soon. What's the name of your book? And it's going to be in English so people can buy it. But what's the name? It will be published in the uh, United States. It is called Egypt Before Written History. Oh, I like that title. Wonderful. All right. Hey, Mohammed, it's been wonderful to hear from you. And as always, every year we um, have you on the program uh, just because we want to get more insight into the ancient Egyptian past. And uh, also we want to promote our tour. So again, for those of you listening, we have a few spots left. May 2nd through the 14th, we meet in Cairo. It is a wonderful tour. It's relaxing. We have a number of areas that are uh, included that are private visits, so you don't have to worry about the general public. And from start to finish, you are wined and dined in the most luxury places, including floating on the Nile and restaurants and hotels. It is wonderful. For more information, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours, T-O-U-R-S. Come out and join us, and it's going to be wonderful. Hey, Mohammed, thank you for taking some time with us. It's been wonderful, and uh, we'll talk to you again. You're welcome, Cliff. It is a pleasure, as I said, to be in your podcast. Always an insightful interview with Mohammed Imbriam. When I'm over with him and we're touring, He is constantly giving us details, updates, and new data that comes through from the local archaeological community. And it's fun to to tour with him. And this is why I really not only admire him, but strongly urge people to come (laughs) to the tour. So great fun to have him on the program. Hey, I want to remind you that we are touring each year. We do our... Grand Egyptian Tour, May 2nd to the 14th of this year. And then in November, we'll be in Mexico. We're doing the ancient Maya of Tabasco and Chiapas, Mexico. And we see Olmec ruins. We see Mayan ruins. We're going to be in Palenque. We're going to be in an area that I haven't been in before, which is really in the jungle area. 
But I'll tell you why we like going there. We get to climb pyramids, temples, and explore. And we're going to be with Dr. Edwin Barnhard, who actually excavated Palenque. In fact, we're going to hear from him real soon on the work that he did there. And this is a fabulous tour. For more information on Earth Ancients tours, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours. These itineraries are evolving. And what that means is I work with people that are able to move the itinerary around as new information comes. And for the most part, these individuals who run these tours have the ability to see and experience and actually add new locations, new museums, new ruins, new artifacts that have come to their attention, and we add that to the the tour. So come out and join us uh, if you're able to. And again, to see the information, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours. Hey, if you're enjoying Earth Ancients, please consider becoming a subscriber. For as little as $5 a month, your money, your support really helps us keep the lights on. These are expensive to produce. We're not just talking about Earth Ancients. We're talking about Destiny and, of course, Earth Ancients Special Edition, The Archives. And we got a program coming up this month on Mars. I found this interview that includes Dr. Mark Carlotto, Dr. John Brandenburg, and George Haas from the Cydonia Institute. This is a very detailed look at some of the early imaging and rover data that came back about uh, eight years ago. And I got to say, a lot of this material was immediately covered up. (laughs) But uh, Dr. Brandenburg is a great deal of fun. He's a plasma physicist. He wrote the book, Death on Mars. And this is a great interview that we are bringing back to for your pleasure. So that takes energy to edit. We run it through a bunch of filters. And we got these other podcasts that are really fun, but they do cost money to produce. Help us out. Five, ten, even $15 a month really, really makes a difference. To become a subscriber, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Earth Ancients and check it out. We give you some gifts, too. Every month, almost every three weeks, I post a new ebook, and these are thank yous from a number of our guests. Uh, sometimes I'll pull them out of our inventory, and these are ebooks on a variety of subjects. That is our thank you uh, for uh, subscribing, and it really makes a difference. So, hey, please help us uh, become a subscriber on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Earth Ancients. All right, that's it for this week. I want to thank my guests, Muhammad Embriam, uh, coming to us from Cairo. As always, our team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everybody else who makes this thing happen. You guys rock. You really do. (laughs) All right, take care, be well, and we will talk to you next time.